Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by Tony Osheimer, Hannah Summers, and Cade Mastis, aka the Maven Crew at the Great American Outdoor Show. We had a fun conversation around the cabin table about the bed bug infestation in our Airbnb, Wyoming whitetail hunting opportunities, tournament archery, Maven optics growth, everything about the Great American Outdoor Show, and much more. 100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge to edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three bedroom, one and a half bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. 
It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house to send us a message and inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. For this week's Mountain Buck Monday story of the week comes from Arlo Legacy out of New York. So Arlo wrote in and said, first off, I'm a late onset hunter. Took my first year at age 33, started hunting archery the next season, and it took two years to get my first year with a bow on private land. Through listening to several core podcasts out there, I started to fill my mind with knowledge necessary to put all the pieces together to harvest a public land buck. I got pictures of this nine point on the 13th of November, 2020, and thought he was just passing through, chasing tail during the rut. I scouted the area pretty well the next spring and found tons of great sign, an old clear cut along with skitter trails and good topography all around some secluded bedding all downhill. I didn't know I was already in my buck's bedroom, but I figured a good deer had to be living close. The first cold front of October was on its way. And so I hit the ground to check for some early season sign. I didn't really, I didn't really see the spot's potential. I got out well before first light on that Sunday morning, October the 17th. I had a good west wind away from the bedding area, and I set my saddle up high in an oak 20 yards off of one of the old skitter trails. Around 8 a.m., 10 turkeys moved through, so I knew I had a good spot. Around 9 a.m., I had spotted a button buck and just filmed him. Moments later, a nice eight came through, and I fumbled my chance to, to, to get a chance at him, getting my bow hung up on my tether. I thought I was watching my early season buck walk out of my life. A couple minutes later, I looked north and just see tines headed towards me in the tall brush. I was ready as he was following the same trail as the other two deer came in on. He passed behind a tree, giving me a chance to draw. I stopped him at 21 yards, perfect broadside, and dumped a Magnus Stinger four blade through him. A little high and a little back, he made it 40 yards, and I heard him pile up. I literally sat in my saddle shaking for 45 minutes before I could even climb down. Thanks, Bo, for the knowledge and the inspiration to get off the beaten path and go find these deer. <laughs> That's such a sweet story uh, there, Arlo, and, and just hearing about, you know, the effort you're putting in, trying to learn to deer hunt, you know, later in life than a lot of people have and just getting out there and doing it and, and getting it done. It's pretty awesome. Anyone who wants to see this beautiful nine point, you can go check it out over on the East Meets West Hunt Instagram page or East Meets West Outdoors on Facebook. You can check that out and feel free to send in your mountain buck Monday story uh, to Bo at eastmeetswesthunt.com. All right, so in other news, uh, the only thing I really have to update here is uh, I got out scouting over the weekend, which it's been it's been quite a while. The snow has been really deep and icy and everything, but some warm weather came in and and uh, yeah, I got out and picked up first shed of the year. It was just a little four on one side. Found it in the spring seep um, coming out of this old clear cut, and there's kind of like a swamp. Uh, around the area i was checking the swamp where i found sheds 
during rough winters in the past. Uh, and there was still a decent amount of snow though. So I definitely could have missed things. I need to get back in there and check it out, but had some really good sign. Um, I pulled a camera that I had out since August or September was the last time I checked it and had some really good uh, deer moving in there. Some early season, uh, right before dark coming out to hit this newer clear cut. The camera was on a scrape right on the edge. It was in a really sweet spot. So it was an inside corner of a newer select cut. And then you had an old 15, 20 year old cut to the West. And then right to the South, you had kind of like a hemlock, um, kind of like a hemlock stand that went through there and just create a bunch of edges. Now one spot, there was a scrape there threw camera up on it. And I had a lot of deer using that throughout all different times of the year. So my camera ended up dying on December the 20th. So I didn't get a whole lot of late season stuff there, but it was, um, it was a really good setup. I was pumped, to uh, to be able to get, get to be able to check that out and, um, and get out in the woods a little bit. Now that from here on out, my weekends are going to look a lot like just being in the woods as much as possible, learning some of my old places, getting in some new places and just scouting. I truly believe this is the time of year when, uh, when you make it happen for this upcoming fall. So anyways, I hope that uh, everyone has a, a great rest of your week here. And I do want to, I do want to add one thing here. So if you would, if you like the the show and the podcast here, if you listen to it over on Spotify, go over and just give the give the podcast five star rating if you like it. Uh, if you don't, that's fine too. But uh, I'd really appreciate it. Um, that helps out with getting this out to more people. If you listen to it on Apple Podcasts, give a rating and review. Those things help out a ton. So again, thanks everyone uh, for listening and we will talk to you soon. All right, we're live for the third annual Maven House podcast in Harrisburg. Happy to be here. How, how, do, you, how do you pronounce it? Podcast? Podcast? No, I don't I pronounce any, it the way no, you pronounce no it. No one else says that, just you. Okay. Because you're from Wyoming. I Actually, say so. I have, I'm with a whole bunch of Wyoming people right now. So I've got Tony Ostheimer. On the podcast, <laughs> and Hannah Winter Spring Summers, <laughs> and Cade Massis Maven, welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, Cade, you've been on here now three, four times, something like that. Last year we did one without the show. You and I just talked over the phone. Yeah, we weren't able to make the trip out. We think we talked rifle scopes for a while. Yeah, we did. We talked. It was Optics One Hundred One. Yeah, yeah, that's what we did. And then Tony, I've met, known Tony for a couple of years now, but this is his first time on the show. So, yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, Tony, you said you did a podcast before, haven't you? A couple of them. Nope, this is going to be pretty fresh for me. I've talked to one outfitter once for a podcast over in Africa, but that was it. Okay. And Hannah, have you been on a podcast before? A few of them, yeah. Have you? Okay. Yeah. So this, okay. So you're you're. You're uh, not going to say I'm good at them, no, but I've been on them. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm very outnumbered here being from Pennsylvania with a bunch of Wyoming people on here, but uh, yeah, should be We should decided be to bring good. back up this year. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm very, uh, very outnumbered. And we're just, uh, we just got back to the house after the, well, you guys have been here for eight days now. So the three of us came in on Monday, Alan, who you might hear 
banging around in the background, wiping everything down with Lysol. He came in. He drove out here, so he ended up actually getting uh, caught in that big storm that blew through before the show. Um, it took them, I think last Thursday, they got 183 miles in almost seven hours oh, driving man. across Ohio. So they had a long haul out here, and then he's staying the duration, and he gets the privilege of driving home, too. So he definitely got the short stick, but yeah. we just got here Tuesday, or started the show Tuesday. But that's plenty long at this show. While it's one of our best shows of the year, and we get to talk to a lot of good people, it's freaking long. It's, yeah. it's a suck for sure. Yeah, the, yeah, the Great American Outdoor Show. It's just there's what two hundred fifty thousand people that come through the doors. I think is what they estimate. Yeah, or something like that. Something crazy like with that. with a total of about five questions between all two hundred fifty thousand. <laughs> yeah, a lot no. of the same answer day after day. <laughs> yeah, and it's 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 funny because Hannah, you joked about it. You're like, you know, it's not it's not the people that are asking the question. They're not asking bad questions. It's just when you answer the same ones over and over again, it's like... You, you get to the end of it and you're like, okay, don't be a jerk. It's their first time asking this question. It just <laughs> happens to be the 500th time I've heard that question, but it's their first time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. And it was only my first day here, but uh, I can imagine how tired you guys were. Tony and I were up late last night just chatting on the couch, spreading bed bugs around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so when you when uh Cade mentioned about alan wiping everything down with lysol and yeah we uh we came into a bed bug situation in the airbnb so we're just trying to trying to figure out how to navigate it <laughs> yeah since we're all heading back to our respective cottages tomorrow i think uh of all the things i expected to take home from harrisburg bed bugs <laughs> was not one of them you know i usually leave here with a good uh dose of uh harrisburg flu from breathing in all the the fry grease in the in the gun hall um i was hoping to take back a couple of cases of ammunition but they were not to be found and but you know bed bug seems like a the gift that keeps on giving so. yeah i mean this is my first time i've been invited to great american outdoor show and i was like okay covid's a possibility like some type of cold's a possibility did not put bed bugs on that list and well, you, that's what i'm going home with you know you just kind of brought up that all of us have been here before and had zero bed bug incidents. <laughs> Anna, so I'm, I'm the one who brought it? You've I, showed up. And I and I think you've just had it for so long, you haven't had any effects. <laughs> Poor Tony over here, he's bit up like head to toe, covered in them. And we thought there were spider bites at first, which put me in a bad spot. I, I woke up like blacked out twice, like looking around, thinking there's spiders all over me. And I don't know. I guess Hannah's been smuggling the bugs around. Uh, <laughs> Wasn't sleeping with a spider stick, so it was wasn't prepared. Yeah, you, but did, you didn't even have the. She didn't even stick. get bit at all, so they're. Yeah, I have no bites on me, so I'm not. That's sure. how I know she brought. Them. I don't think I can take the blame for the bed bugs. I have not a single bite. Yeah, Every, all of you guys, you guys have bites. No, I, I don't. Know. I don't have any bites. Your, your head big. right there. I, I've seen it myself. No, I, th I think that's acne. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's spider bites or bed bugs or whatever. It's the heck stress they are. blemishes from having to talk to us tonight. Yeah, yeah. that's probably more likely. Yeah, I can't, I can't say that uh, every time I come to Harrisburg, I'm like, you, you go in and you're just going to be beat down by the end of it. You drive home and you're just questioning your life decisions, everything that's going on, because it's just a constant beat down in the Maven booth all day long. <laughs> and Saturdays are particularly long. Most of the time it's 10 to 7, but the 9 to 7 on Saturday, it's only an extra hour, but uh, good God, it is a long hour that tees it off. 
by the time seven o'clock rolls around at night, it is time to shut off the brain, crack open a frosty beverage and, uh, get to it. Yeah. And well, yeah, well, we're not really shutting off the brains cause we had to come back and record a podcast. So, but I'm sure everyone's, uh, you, you were excited about it, Kate. I know it. You kept bringing it up all day. I did. What are we talking about tonight, Bo? Where's the script? So, what do you want me to plug this time? Yeah. <laughs> so, I kind of want to start it off by uh, just Tony, give a little background on yourself and uh, what uh, what you like to do out there in Wyoming because you kill a lot of shit and you like to hunt a lot. You seem to to travel a lot to hunt and uh, yeah, I, I always enjoy uh, hearing your stories and seeing your Snapchats out there in in the in the West. Well, I uh, moved, I grew up hunting and fishing with my dad as my mentor, Um, moved to Wyoming when I was 15. Um, My dad took a job out there as a teacher, so graduated from high school out in rural Wyoming, out in the Sheridan area, and then didn't really go too far when I went to college, just a few hours away. Didn't get to do too much hunting or fishing or anything like that through college, just because I played football and I didn't have any time anymore for any hunting seasons. Um, But after football wrapped up and I finished everything like that, I really dove back into it. once you leave college and a uh, really structured schedule of sports, you immediately look for something to gravitate towards and fill to or something to put your time into. So fly fishing and hunting really took off for me after that point. Um, got into col- or into uh, archery my last year of college. Decided to give that a try because I was tired of having to hunt when it was cold out and I decided I wanted to hunt when it was nicer weather. <laughs> and have just been sticking it out and learning as i go from there i've uh, killed a few elk with my bow quite a few deer um being wyoming residents we're pretty fortunate to be able to go an over-the-counter elk tag every year at least um we can always draw an antelope tag somewhere in the state there's a lot of whitetail options and you can still get a mule deer tag too so there's plenty of in-state opportunities just in the fall so you're saying like everyone should move to wyoming is that what you're is that what you're no, see, there's, just, there's just not enough room for everybody, and the state's about full. Super populated, Packed. super populated, like expensive rent, basically another New York, don't want to move there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> it, is, it is cold, though, and the nearest thing is two hours away. That's just the general travel rule in Wyoming. If you go somewhere, it's two hours. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is interesting. It's funny, like when I, first time I had any time in Wyoming, it was after my first hunting trip to Colorado, and we we're heading home. We're going up to Interstate 80. We went to Cheyenne and spent a night there. And I was like, wait, this is the state's capital. It's uh, <laughs> it's like a kind of a, a a mid-sized town, you know. <laughs> Biggest town in Wyoming. What are you talking about? Yeah. 60,000 people. We yeah. put the capital and I-80 in one of the least pleasant parts of the state so that whenever people are traveling through, they go, ooh, this is terrible. I don't want to live here. And we kind of keep the gems for ourselves. Yeah, I just remember extremely windy, and yeah, that's and I remember Sundays everything shut down. There's like nothing going on in town. Is that right, or did we just hit like an odd? Are you sure you weren't in Utah? No, I'm pretty sure. I, All right, just check. I'm pretty sure I was in Cheyenne. We've got some stuff going on on Sundays. Okay, yeah. Okay. Walmart and such. <laughs> Walmart. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Tony, I always think it's funny when. Uh, 
whenever you and I are kind of Snapchatting back and forth, I'll be whitetail hunting in uh, in Pennsylvania and kind of the big woods. And then you send me this kind of like wide open landscape that you're whitetail hunting in. And it's uh, quite a bit different, but you seem to do a, a decent amount of whitetail hunting as well. So Wyoming has a, the Sheridan area just in particular, has an overabundance of whitetails. Um, they, the projections for game and fish and just their overall populations are well beyond the management level. So it's a pretty fun thing to go do and hunt. The tag is generally pretty easy to draw as a resident. And yeah, it's hunting a lot of river bottoms, hunting a lot of edge of ag fields, stuff like that. Those whitetails seem to run those river bottoms and there's pretty common we can do a stand sit and say anywhere between two and three hundred deer in a set in an evening oh, that's insane i haven't seen two or three hundred deer in my life <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's insane and what so like you said like kind of like the river bottoms and the ag edges river bottoms just because that's like one of the only places that has trees is that or what's the the whole deal about river bottoms yeah so the river bottoms seem to have more of the deciduous trees uh, there's a lot more cover for those whitetails, as well as most of the agriculture in Wyoming is based off those rivers. Most have uh, either an irrigation permit or they have a water rights permit they can pull from one of the rivers. So most of the ag fields are located close to these river bottoms, um, just to the access and the ease of transporting that water to the field. So okay. the whitetails seem to stick to close to those river bottoms mostly, and um just with how many there are uh, versus how far they are over the goals. Uh, the Game and Fish is liberal with issuing and allocating those tags because they're concerned about um, something like a blue tongue or an EHD coming through and taking out uh, large amounts of the deer. And it is starting to happen because we're getting too many deer, um, too many whitetails, that is. The mule deer is another conversation. They're, they're in decline right now, but the whitetails yeah. are blowing up. So they're looking to try to get more and more of those whitetails pulled before one of those, I guess, semi-natural disasters happens when 90% of the whitetail die off from something that was endemic. Ah, interesting. And like, so when you, when you go like into the air, these areas, do you spend much time as far as scouting or anything, or do you kind of just know, like when you find these river bottom spots, there's going to be whitetails or how, what do you kind of like, how do you look at that? So I was really fortunate with a lot of my hunting. I spent, uh, I grew up in that area, spending my uh, latter years of high school and everything there. So I know a lot of people. Um, most of these people that I know and I talk to are generally open to the idea of archery hunting on these river bottoms and around their property. The rifle hunting is pretty well shut down everywhere, but they have no problem with the bow hunting. So I like to get out there. Um, I try to go set stands, run some cameras, get some idea of where the deer are, what's going on, what's moving, find some pinch points or just whatever natural trail they're doing that year. And it'll change. <clears throat> it'll change year to year on every piece of property and ranch because some year the ranchers will run a fence somewhere on one side next year they're going to run cows to a different side and the deer will follow a different path but that's mm. part of the fun is just throwing out 15 cameras seeing what's getting hit what's not getting hit and then trying to make a plan from there okay so I, di I didn't realize you you did a whole lot of the camera game too I wouldn't say I do a lot of it or I'm any good at it. Uh, I just it's the shotgun approach. I'm going to yeah. put a whole bunch of cameras out and something's going to work out okay. I also live and die by just throwing a tree stand up on somewhere that I can get tall enough in a tree and knowing I can shoot 80 yards in any direction, I can cover quite a bit of country and yeah. let one rip. And you, prob and you probably can uh, also see like their movement and like, okay, all right, they're moving over here, then you can 
obviously move and adjust in, in those types of areas where you can see a little ways. Yep. I've, uh, I've climbed down out of the tree stand a lot of times to go chase after whitetail, which that's awesome. You only get really one chance for that in an afternoon. So it has to be a buck you really want, but yeah, it doesn't work out very much. I was going to say with that many eyes that could potentially be in the area that, yeah, there's that makes deer bedded down everywhere. If you don't see, um, the horses, a lot of times or cows will run to you if they see you out there because they think you have food of some sort. <laughs> so it's, have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart and others available at all times? Well, you can with Cyber Scout from Spartan Forge. Cyber Scout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. Cyber Scout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code East Meets West to save 20%. And if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S. And I've been using the Acura series. But they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade Short Barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. It's a... It's often exercise in futility, but it's panned out once or twice, so it keeps me coming back for more. Do you, do you find that that a lot of the landowners and stuff will give permission for whitetails like over anything else like to hunt? Like if someone were to knock on doors or do anything like that, like they think of whitetails as like rats? A lot of the ranchers and landowners really do think that. They do a lot of damage to crops. They do a lot of damage to the river bottom area. Um, having said that, there's been I, I it really just takes one bad apple to ruin the bushel for everyone else mm-hmm. and there seems to be that problem as well uh, if a rancher or a landowner has a problem with one person they usually shut it down right there and they don't want to do it anymore whether it was um, someone not practicing good safe practices or letting their buddies on also or coming out at night or just not treating some treating the land or that owner with respect Okay. So that usually becomes a problem and trying to overcome that is one of the harder things and talking to people, building a relationship, letting them know that if nothing else, they're getting a text every day the day before you come out there to go hunt so that it's uh, still their property. They can tell me no whenever they want. I would just like to ask if I can get permission, please, today. Gotcha. Is there, is there many uh, public opportunities in some of those those areas that have that type of ag and river bottom country? In Could Wyoming, be. or is, okay, not talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> so All one right. of the other things I think, uh, because Wyoming is basically a, a small town with long roads, I think it, we say that a lot. Uh, <laughs> it's much easier for a resident that, I mean. All the permissions I have came over a conversation at a bar with a friend of mine that after three or four long conversations, the invite got 
came around to being able to go hunt. Um, and so you have that piece where they're happy to let me on, maybe to bring my kid who's going to have a first hunting experience. They'll, they're a little bit more open to that than knocking on doors. You know, there's not, you know, I've been out, out in Kansas where you knock on a door and they let you go hunt a field for geese. But if you ever asked up for deer, they'd be like, no, you know, we have this leased out, which had never been a thing until a few years ago. And now I know up around the Devil's Tower area, places we used to be able to knock on the door and go turkey hunting has now all been leased out to outfitters and it's been mm. kind of locked down. And so some of that, you know, more Midwest mentality of, you know, paying for, for uh, exclusive hunting rights on some land is becoming a little bit more of a thing in Wyoming, which... You know, good for the ranchers being able to make money in in non traditional ways, but yeah, it uh, does lock off the access a little bit to to people who are trying to get out there and grind it. Do you do you do much turkey or uh, turkey hunting, whitetail hunting in Wyoming? I know you you've been getting into it, like coming east in Kansas and everything, but mostly incidental. Um, you know, the we have a little bit of whitetail around us on the west side of the state. Uh, there's a couple of state sections where you can get on, and uh, we actually, a, a group of us were asked to hunt a, a small neighborhood during bow season to try and get rid of some of the deer that were destroying gardens and eating uh, apples and stuff. And unfortunately, in that neighborhood, there was one very anti-hunting group that complained to the HOA and got it shut down, even though we were on uh, private property that had permissions. and. So, I mean, there's some access to some decent animals, nothing like you guys get out here. Uh, you know, one of the things Tony mentioned earlier with the heavy population on the east side, you know, to me, they they all look like greyhounds out there. They're these little <laughs> tiny gray deer, you know, I don't Such think they'd, tiny bodies. they wouldn't dress out like any of your big mountain bucks really? out here. They're, and there's just so many of them. I think that's part of the thing. Yeah. Um, I'm sure if we, you know, got some of the big ones down on the ground, some of the ones that you don't see because they're more wily, they might compete. But yeah, um, it's just, it's almost, I wouldn't say a different species, but you know how things are from area yeah. to area. The population drives the body size down. Yeah, whitetails are such a weird animal. Like, they're so different everywhere you go. Like, they're the same species, but they all have, like, kind of just their different quirks to them. And I, I never really noticed the body size because I feel like some of the deer you killed had bigger axe and i kind of i like focused on that and it <laughs> didn't look past focus it. on the bigger axe too usually yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well i usually find myself i look at uh whitetail killed in east coast or texas southeast u.s you know things like that and a lot of times i look at them and i think like man that's a giant deer and then i have to remind myself like nope hannah like i've killed a georgia whitetail before that was a tiny body like mm -hmm. put that frame in perspective you know a rack on that deer is okay on a whitetail in wyoming it might look a little different yeah yeah that's that, that is that is interesting what what would you think like say uh a whitetail live weight be and like a, a mature buck in wyoming oh uh, whitetails that i've shot before um the ones so mature deer at least where i go hunting um what we would call a mature deer and a very large deer be 140 inches most of our deer cap out genetically in that one uh 130 to 145 that just okay. seems to be the ceiling and we've shot some that have dressed out around that two uh live weight and that 210 to 225 yeah, those so are the yeah ones. That's a, the um, there's also here. a lot of yearlings running around that are like 60 pounds so uh. it's 
There's a little bit on both sides, and to kind of follow up what you said before, there's, there is public land in Wyoming that you can find, that river bottom that is accessible, that you can go hunting on. Um, and like Cade said, there are, Outfitters really did a good job about five years ago of, I guess, foreseeing what was happening or going on and talking to those ranchers and people who did have a bad problem once and tell them, like, hey, I can take this over, assume the responsibility uh, and pay you for your time um, just to use your land. And when you propose that to a landowner, knowing that they really don't have anything to lose in the situation anymore, it's pretty easy for them to say yes. Yeah. 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 You can't you can't blame them at that point, you know, for. Or any of that and yeah i guess our like uh a, a good size buck in our is 200 210 pounds something probably about the same but like there's there's some that will get live weight of 250 260 a little bit bigger type deer but yeah that that makes sense hannah do you hunt much whitetails where I you're do. at so where i live i'm i'm right on a creek bottom and I'm in a pretty unique area where I've got creek bottom right in front of my house, some hills and, and draws behind my house. So I get a solid whitetail population moving the creek bottom on my front yard and a solid mule deer population moving the hills behind my house. Okay. And they actually they intermingle and stuff. You'll drive by a group of deer and it's going to be whitetail and mule deer together. And sometimes they're hanging out together. Sometimes they're separate. But uh, I do hunt that area kind of right around where I live because there's a pretty solid whitetail population typically on those creek bottoms. Okay, that makes sense. And so, Hannah, let's before before we go any further, give a little background on yourself because I feel like I don't know the whole whole background on you. I've heard that you kind of came from Alaska and all yeah. this other stuff. <laughs> so I I was born in Georgia. First half of my childhood in Georgia, second half in Alaska. Okay. Uh, grew up shooting bows, guns, everything, you know, all sorts of shooting sports, competitive shooting, but never actually hunted. Um, I moved out of Alaska and went to Montana for college. And when I was in college, kind of like an early adult onset hunter, my around 20 or so years old, okay. um, I had a friend, a coworker's husband took me hunting because I was like, I want to try hunting. Went hunting for my first time, shot my first animal there in Montana, moved to California for grad school for a couple of years, hated that, <laughs> got out of California, back to Wyoming, to the Rocky Mountain region, and then picked up hunting again, um, and I've kind of started bow hunting in Wyoming, and just kind of grown in hunting ever since. I've been in Wyoming about five or six years now. Okay. And then you also shoot competitive archery, right? I do. So I shoot I shoot competitive archery. I'm not going to say I'm good at it. I kind of, it, it ebbs and flows depending on how much I'm practicing. Yeah. It's hard to find as much time to practice in Wyoming as it was when I lived in San Diego. That's where I got into competitive archery. San Diego, it's 70, 70 year round. You know, yeah. you can shoot outdoors year round. It's beautiful weather. Wyoming, when it's blowing 70 degrees or 70 miles an hour, as opposed to being 70 degrees outside, a little bit harder to You're shoot. Probably pretty accurate at that point. <laughs> <laughs> at that point, I'm like, I don't even want to try. It's it's so hard. <laughs> but there's some good indoor ranges and stuff that you can still shoot at in Cheyenne. So yeah. What what do you what do you, what's your favorite uh, what's your favorite species to hunt? Oh man, um, probably I'm I'm partial to mule deer. I think. Are you? I I enjoy mule deer hunting. A mule deer was the first animal. No, antelope was the first animal I ever shot with a bow. Um, but mule deer hunting, I've done a variety of mule deer. I mean, Wyoming, you get the opportunity to hunt desert mule deer 
high altitude desert, you get the opportunity to hunt high altitude, like mountain alpine type hunts. Mm -hmm. So there's a pretty wide variety of mule deer hunting you can do. And I think that's probably one of my more favorite hunts every year. Okay. Yeah. That's still my, my nemesis. I guess I haven't killed a mule deer yet. Last year was the first year. Like I had a tag in my pocket and tried to go after him. It just didn't, didn't work out. So as anyone has listened to it, no being in uh altitude set me back a little bit apparently pa boy didn't, yeah didn't breathe too well at those high elevations but uh uh yeah that's it mule deer kind of have like this weird spot and that i want to i want to continue to to hunt them some more i live up at i think my house is right about seven thousand feet so i've got a little bit of an advantage there you know living at yeah. seven thousand makes it a little bit easier to climb up to that 10 11 000 mark in the mountains and yeah not feel like you're dying yeah, and and I I didn't uh, I never had issues with altitude in the past. I ended up having some underlying issues. I ended up finding out I had mono and a sinus infection going Ooh. into it, so it didn't help with. I didn't know that at the time, um, but then afterwards, the doctors were like, yeah, that didn't help your breathing. <laughs> um, so, it, which makes me feel better about going back, you know, in the future at it because I've hunted at those elevations before. But um, yeah, that's. That's interesting. So do you, when you, when you say you shoot like competitive archery, what, what does that look like? Do you like go to certain, I, I know Cade's <laughs> tr- pretending to draw back a bow. I know it means shooting a bow, but <laughs> <Just checking. laughs> what, what does that look like? Do you like travel around the country for it? Is it more local type events? Like what, what do you do for that? Yeah. So I started out local. I started out in San Diego, uh, shooting local, had some people there that I met at the range and were like, you should try doing some local tournaments. And then they invited me to drive with them to Northern California to do a big national tournament, Redding. That was kind of my big step into national tournament archery. And there's different kinds of tournaments. You know, you can do 3D tournaments, um, field archery tournaments, which are like a paper field archery. There's indoor paper. There's a number of different styles of shooting. I am 100% partial to field archery, like that outdoor yeah. paper field archery archery 3d archery after that paper archery indoors my least favorite i think that's almost everyone's least favorite unless they're a little bit insane um but really tournament archery i i shot tournament archery before i started bow hunting and i think that that helped me a little bit and that tournament archery really helps you perfect your form i mean you you learn about tuning a bow you learn about your form you learn about every tiny little tweak you can make to your posture, to your bow, to your equipment to make your shot more accurate, more consistently. At the same time, I struggled with a lot because tournament archery, you walk up to the line to to make a shot and you look down, you look at your feet, your stance, your posture, what's your hand position on your grip, you know, you draw back slow and kind of take a breath and settle into the shot and then you shoot. And my very first archery hunt, which was for antelope, Turns out you can't take 20 seconds to shut up, set up your, your shot and then yeah. actually get a chance at an antelope. So yeah. it took a little bit for me to transition to that hunting archery where you can't take 20 to 30 seconds to make sure the shot's perfect. You've got to do it on the fly and it's got to be a quick process. And I, I still struggle with that. Uh, I, I can imagine, but the, I have to think that by you shooting in front of people and under pressure that that helps you in a hunting scenario when you're kind of in a high stress environment. 
I think in a way it does. It gives you a little bit more practice in that high stress environment, you know, shooting on a line. I take my time in tournaments and it's not uncommon that I'm the last person on the line and I've got, I'm, you know, watching the clock tick down. I know that there's dozens or almost a hundred shooters behind me watching me as the sole shooter on the line and try and block that out. I think it's a different type of pressure knowing that it's people watching you critiquing you is different than an animal pressure where they don't care what my form looks like. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they don't know I'm at full draw, but it's, it, it helps in a way. I was going to say, cause like, I, I think so last year I went to, um, an elk shape camp and they made us like all stand in front of like 30 other people and shoot a target covered with a steel ring around it and just the vitals open and people just like watching over you. And I felt like I had that kind of, that rush, like you had a, you know, a big deer in front of you or whatever it might be. And it made it, it made it difficult, kind of slightly blacked out a little bit, you know, <laughs> and, uh, but the, it's, I don't know. I just feel like that would definitely, definitely help out, um, from, from that side of things, but I could see where it could be difficult from, you know, making sure everything's perfect in there and then transitioning to, to hunting where you got to make the, the best of your opportunities, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And so, Cade. Yes. When um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about in in out in uh, Wyoming, you were telling us about a new building from the the Maven side of things. Is that is that a public thing at this point? Yep. Yeah, it's public. We're actually um, breaking the contractor will be on site. Um, February 14th. So probably after this podcast or before this podcast, uh, yeah, by the time this airs, this will all be going on. Uh, so February 14th, 2022, the contractors will be on site and get started on the project. And we're having an official groundbreaking with some people on the 16th of February. So yeah, it's, it's rolling. It's public knowledge. It's, um, it's going through a public process where we have a program in the state where we're able to uh, borrow money from the business council to, to do the project so that we don't have to expend capital. It's not a grant. So everyone thinks that we're getting this big chunk of money, but we do have to pay it all back to the state over a period of time, but it just lessens the burden so that we can continue to grow our business. But right now we're in 5,000 square feet. We have 15 people in there uh, about to have a 16th and We've literally had to wall in the hallway and make it into Mike's office. We <laughs> tore down a closet and made it an office. Uh, our beloved break room has two people in it now, and we had to move the beer fridge into the conference room, <laughs> um, which was you know, <clears throat> major sacrifices are being made. So the new, the new facility, we've had a couple of floor redesigns. So I don't know the exact square foot offhand, but it's right around 23,000 square feet. So we're going to, more than four times in size. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of dedicated spaces in there. Um, we're building some not true clean rooms in, in that sense, but clean rooms where we'll be able to, um, onboard a lot of our repair, um, mm, okay. pretty, pretty immediately. Uh, we're tra- getting two people fully trained in, in repair. And then we're going to add, uh, hopefully some light assembly long-term. Uh, we are doing some light assembly of rifle scopes right now, and we, we want to continue that uh, along with more of our product line. So theoretically, it's supposed to be done by the end of 2022. 20, uh, 
uh, but it is a government project, and I've never known one of those to come in time or under budget. So we'll uh, <laughs> we're expecting you know probably early twenty three move in, but it it should be a game changer for us because it will give us the ability to have more people um, do more services internally, carry more inventory. You know, right now in addition to our building, we have three Connex containers in the in the parking lot just holding stuff that can be outside and it's it's tight to be able to grow right now so it's it'll be a big deal for us and we hope to be uh you know kind of a cornerstone employer of lander um, all of us are really passionate about the community the three of us that uh, started maven and so we want to be a continue to be a long-term piece of the community there yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, that's got to be great for the community to bring some of those jobs in and being able to do some of that assembly and everything in-house and uh, be able to do that. And who, who knows, maybe I'll I'll come out and work for you. You keep telling me I, I need I, to move out I there. I keep telling you to move out. I mean, honestly, <laughs> you know, in a town of 7,000 people, a private employer of 15, 16 people is a force. You know, that's um, this will be... We figured it out once, but things are always changing. But I think it'll be the third largest privately owned building in in the community. Okay, uh, you know, minus schools and hospitals type stuff. There's there's not that many twenty thousand plus square foot facilities. So, uh, and it's right at the you know coming into town. Our architect and then our designer Brendan have done a a great job of making it look like a cornerstone piece of the community. So when you come in, it's a great gateway and. Um, we're excited for what it, it can mean for us, but we're also, you know, really excited for being part of that, the community for long term. Yeah. And then, uh, I, I, this is just what I heard, but I heard 14,000 square feet of it's actually the, the new beer room. <laughs> that, that's, that's an estimate, you know, we still <laughs> up some numbers, but, uh, you know, we, we take our, we take our employee relaxation seriously. So we want to make sure that there's an appropriate venue for that yeah, re- relaxation. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all for that and keeping everybody happy and hydrated. I mean, I think that's that's an important piece of it. And I think we found a way if we stack the boxes just right for protection, we'll also have a 50-yard indoor archery range. So Really? Yep. Well, I'm shooting a new bow this year, and I am pumped. After playing around with the buddies Hoyt RX-8, the smile on my face made the decision for me. The first thing I noticed with the new Hoyts were their extremely smooth draw cycles and the ability to adjust the back wall to make it rock solid like I prefer. I outfitted my own RX-8 with the inline accessories that made installation extremely easy and balanced out the bow. My favorite accessory so far is a simple one. It's the Go Sticks 2.0 adjustable legs to make your bow like a tripod, but it doesn't interfere with any part of the bow or the limbs or anything like that. In addition, the integrated kickstand within the HBX exact cams protect your string from excess wear when you put your cam into the dirt. Ground hunting or spot and stock just got easier. If you want to experience what I'm talking about, head to your nearest Hoyt dealer and take a test drive yourself. You can learn more at Hoyt.com. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other. It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. 
So come check it out at, or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at the mobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. Our original plan actually called for for a testing lane for optics and stuff that we could have done there. But when we had to do some, as you might be aware, construction costs have increased dramatically. Yes. Uh, So when we put our project in in January of 21 and then the bids came in in July of 21, there was a like 35% price increase from the estimation to the actual bids. So. Many things got cut, including the 50-yard <laughs> indoor archery range, but I think we'll still be able to find a place to fling an arrow without sticking it in someone. I mean, just like that 14,000 feet or whatever, any of that could really be a beer drinking area. Truly, any of it could also be an archery shooting area, right? It's just how how you play it. It could be. <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh that's going to be exciting to see uh to see that grow and see the the, the community be able to uh i guess be impacted from from having that you know internally and I'm, I'm excited you invited me out to the the grand opening ceremony whenever that is so that that'll be that'll be cool probably to- uh somewhere around the end of q1 23 we should be moved in um done with getting sick at harrisburg <laughs> and the rest of the shows version um and then uh get back get everything moved in settled in and then you know have a good party which is one of the things we like to do yeah no i <laughs> it's always a it's always a, it's always a good time hanging out with you guys so i'm sure it'll be <laughs> it'll be a, a good time that's for sure and what so do you think that you know with with that being said um what what i guess what do you see from from maven in the future if you're able to to talk about that just continuing to grow kind of what what you're already building in those foundations and or like what are you seeing from that yeah so for us you know we still see that there's um opportunities within what we're already doing our binocular line has filled out nicely you know we launched the uh the revised b1 last year and then with it we launched the b6 which gave us that uh, 50 millimeter choices in the in the premium line we launched the c4 which gave us the uh, 56 millimeters in the uh the midline uh we got into our rangefinders last year um you know i don't think it's super secret at this point because we printed it in our catalog before we were ready but there's a c-series uh rangefinder coming out this spring um that'll be i'm just finding out about this right now <laughs> apparently, I didn't read the catalog. Yeah, apparently. Oh, I've been pre-selling this at the show all week. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's a, a C-series rangefinder due out probably in April. It'll be about half the the published distance that the RF1 is, but probably about half the published price is the RF1 as well. Yeah. Um, and then you know, obviously, you know, I think if you just look at our line, we have some obvious gaps, and some of those are uh, continuing to fill out things within the rangefinder category um you know with ballistics and other some such items mm. and then our really big gaps uh remain in the rifle scopes you know there's we have you know we just launched our c-series rifle scopes at the beginning of january and they've they've taken off we're doing really well there um, and then we have our five models of the rs series but that's a drop in the bucket of what's a potential for rifle scopes, you know? Yeah. Um, 
we could have 50 SKUs and still have gaps in rifle scopes. It's really where the, I mean, everyone that comes up wants a very, very, very specific thing that we don't currently make. And uh, <laughs> the most uh, difficult customer so far this week at the Harrisburg show has been people who come up and want to talk about rifle scopes because everybody wants a certain exact thing and they want it to be this way and if it's a wire reticle then they don't want it and if it's a laser reticle or a net reticle excuse me they don't want it and if it's a second focal plane then they don't want it but if it's a first focal plane they don't want it yeah and it is yeah uh, people come up and ask for like these specs do you have it yeah and that's and it's always something that they've had before and that's like this is what my old scope was and so why don't you make one that's exactly the same thing? Yeah. <laughs> and rifle scopes are probably the biggest area of misunderstood knowledge. Like people come in with this, this is how my rifle scope behaves. It's like, no, mathematically it, it, it can't. Like, no, no, I'm telling you, this is what it is. I mean, I had a very short but furious argument with the guy today about <laughs> he absolutely insisted that Japan was in Europe. And so when I said we use Japanese glass, not European glass, he goes, no, if you're using Japan, you're using European because Japan's in Europe. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to pull up the map and show I'm like, okay, like there's, I'm just not going to argue with you because there's no, no value in it, but there is very passionate <laughs> if uh, slightly misinformed, <laughs> but honestly, most of the people that come up, you know, like Hannah was saying earlier about coming up with the same question over and over really. And the reason we do all these shows, I call it, you know, we, we're here to show and tell because people are really most of the time looking to be informed. There's probably a nice 5% demographic that wants to come in it. They're looking for justification on what they already own and why it's better. Like they're just trying to, yeah. They're just trying to get you to say that no, you know what? Your hundred dollar Walmart pair is the bee's knees. You're right, sir. But honestly, most of the time they're just looking for an entrance, some icebreaker to really learn more. Yeah. And it's easy for us to get jaded after days and days of these conversations and start getting a little frustrated. But you always have to step back and go, okay, why are they asking that question? They're asking that question because they don't know. They just want to be educated and they might ask it in a weird way or in a, you know, sometimes slightly aggressive manner. But uh, <laughs> as you know, Bo, I am the epitome of patience and <laughs> yeah, and always yeah. willing to have a good conversation. Sometimes when questions get asked, I kind of cringe because I don't know what's going to come out of Cade's mouth. Next. Oh, man. <laughs> it's, it's, no, you, I do a pretty good <laughs> job no, of reading my audience. Yeah. No, you do. You I do like to mess with people in the booth, but most of the time it's they know it's coming. Yeah, when, when someone asked today about, uh, like, do you have any rifle scopes in the stainless option? And you're like, no. And they're like, well, why don't you? And you go, because it looks stupid. <laughs> I was laughing so hard. There reaches and a certain point in the day where you're like, you know what? It's for everyone's best interest that I step away for a little bit. Just take a short break because the next person that comes up and asks this question, I might get a little snippy. Yeah, but then I did tell him that I was just yeah, kidding. I was going to say, you we talked him. about why and he was all all about it. But it was just, yeah. sometimes you, sometimes you got to break the, break the tension because it, it is a long day. And make it kind of fun at the I same time. I can only time. pick on Bo so much. I've got to spread it out a bit. Yeah, that's... There's a, there's a lot of that going on today. I'd well, say. you do have a fairly um, adamant following that is very excited to meet you in person. <laughs> the Bow Boys. The Bow Boys. 
for rainbows. I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> I don't know why you're looking at me. I thought I was very nice. I. It's unfortunate that you didn't announce ahead of time the photo and the autograph opportunity you had today at the booth. Yeah, I mean, people could have come in people and got their hat signed. Picture, at picture taken o'clock. with the. Oh my God! It's Bo Martonic. Rambo Martonic. <laughs> <laughs> We did we did get some Rambo moves today though with with those rifle scopes when you were you were demonstrating some of the different postures Doing that, some sneak and shooting postures the, and yeah. stuff yeah oh yes. yeah I, I mean, appreciated to get the, that to get the full view out of those rifle scopes you got to get in you got to get into mission like you get full tactical. Rambo you got to get tactical maybe that's yeah. what our sales pitch is missing we don't have enough like live action going on with no there's. There's barrel rolls and stuff. The marketing team and really get involved with more tactical type moves mm-hmm. and uh, photo ops. I, You're right. I, I think a it's lot. a hole. It's it's a gap. Yeah, I mean. watching you, I learned a lot. I'm I'm going to use some of those moves this next probably elk hunting. I'm thinking is where they're going to be most efficiently put to use. Yeah, I mean it, it's all about you know the first couple steps that you take yeah. when you have the gun and and all well, the scope attached to it, obviously in hand, and how you how you get into position and get the, the shoulder mount while slowly sweeping back the mud flap. Yeah, was really <laughs> the mud flap is what they call my mullet currently. <laughs> <laughs> the mud flap. I mean, like all that, all that preseason scouting work and the the you know studying the elk herd and the getting into position and finding them, calling them in. None of that really matters. It's those few steps as you bring the rifle to the shoulder, or as you demonstrated, center chest is also center an option. chest is really good yeah. opportunity <laughs> to have good form. And like, think about it. If you put it, if you put your gun on your shoulders, you're offset, and the kick just blows your wow. arm back. You put it directly on your sternum you're gonna t- you're gonna take that impact makes perfect sense yeah. like a champ <laughs> like a champ why use one eye to look through the scope when you could use both eyes and truly center that sight yeah that's it, honestly yeah. you're not even supposed to look through the scope you look down each side of it <laughs> it's an alignment really yeah <laughs> we have some fun <laughs> yeah we do we you have to you gotta have fun with it and i think uh our time at the booth we kind of we kind of create these things that to anybody on the outside it's probably like oh that's that's uh it's pretty dumb but uh it's it's fun it's fun to us i'll say that show show life is something else i mean this is technically it's my fifth show already this calendar year um, so went to Dallas Safari Club, came home. I was With supposed COVID to be home there, for a right? week, got COVID on the way home. So walked in the door, was quarantined for the five days. The day I get out of quarantine, I fly to Vegas, do SHOT Show, you just walk it for a couple of days. But I was not in f- top form um, and then immediately rolled over Safari Club International, was home for five days i no, i guess i was home eight days sorry my fault eight days then i went to um the las vegas shoot for professional archery i uh, was there last week and then went directly from there to harrisburg and i'm here and then i get a drive home with alan and for two days after this then i'll be home for eight days okay then i head to germany for nine days so so you're at two for five of your shows this year for bringing home a disease or infestation yes what are you going to get in germany What's what's on the docket? The sky's the limit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, COVID, bed bugs. It's just like uh, 
I don't know. Florona over there, I think. <laughs> yeah. Moving around. There's, yeah, there's something weird going on. But it is, I mean, I guess it is very critical for a company like Maven that is direct to consumer and you're not, you're not in, in stores. So there's, you have to educate people and be able to get the hands on the product for selling online. It's hard for someone to be like, oh, I'm going to spend thousand dollars on this pair of optics um, without seeing it. So this gives the opportunity for the people that do want to see it to be able to, to get their hands on it. Absolutely. And that's why we do shows. I mean, um, we know that historically, wherever we do shows, not only at the event where we've done very well here, I can't complain. We've done, done very well with our sales, but over the course of the next year, we'll see Pennsylvania sales roll in. And, you know, the, we've got about half the people that come by the booth and they've already bought a B3 or a C1 and they're looking at what they need next. And half the people come by the booth and go, I ain't never heard of y'all where, how new are you? Like, well, I've been in this booth location for six years. Have you ever come to the show? Yes. Ain't never heard of y'all. Well, all right. Well, now you have, let's talk about it. We, yeah, we walk them through, um, and a surprising source, you know, we've spent a lot of investigative studies over it over the last couple of nights, but, um, the Pennsylvania Dutch, their various communities here in, um, in Pennsylvania are large customers at these shows. They're not online. They're not going to find us on the website, but their cousin, uncle, brother, someone in their, in their community has bought from us in the past and they've heard about them and they come in and we've sold a fair amount to that, to, you know, different members of those communities that continue to be good customers. So, um, we would never do that if we relied solely online and, you know, while I'm, I know that your podcast is gaining reach, I'm not sure it's really deep in those communities either. So it's good to be in person. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a, yeah, I think that's, that's a, that's a very fair point. And, and, and there's, I mean, there's a lot of even of the older generation that comes in that hasn't mm -hmm. seen it because, you know, being online or, or doing anything, coming across it and they're not on social media and all these different things to see the, mm -hmm. the marketing or whatever that goes through that. So being able to get their hands on it and, and look through it, it's, it's pretty cool to watch somebody pull up either the rifle scope or the, or any of the optics for the first time and kind of see their, their impressions. Oh, by absolutely. It. I mean, I've got two customers in mind. I've, I talk about, you know, getting sick of the same question over and over, but so, so far in the show, I had one woman a couple of days ago who pulled up the, a pair of binos and was just blown away. Not honestly, not even by the quality or anything about the glass, but she'd never even really looked through a pair of binos and was just blown away by what she could see yeah. and just her face and, and her expression as she was like, Oh my gosh, I can, I can see everything. I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah. And then today I, same thing. I had a guy that I was talking to throw up a pair of B series binos, you know, the kind of highest quality optics put out there by Maven and just puts them up to his eyes and he could just watch like this big old grin forming on his yeah. face. And you just knew like whatever he was seeing through those binos was, was better than what he had seen before through the previous pair he owned. Yeah. Just this big old smile. And then, wow. <laughs> I, I loved, I loved the one guy that came up today and he looks at, he picks up the pair of optics. He's like, wow, I guess I should have shopped around before I bought this pair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he bought a pair at another booth and just off on a whim and then came to our booth and was like, well, I screwed up. Yeah. Should have bought these. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. And we spend an amazing amount of time in our booth, educating people who 
probably are not our customer. Um, but you know, our rule of thumb, first of all, is never prejudge because I mean, in Wyoming, you'll meet half a dozen millionaires with cow shit on their boots before you make it to the bank. I mean, it's, you can't judge a book by its cover. Still have not sold to anybody, um, wearing only bib overalls and no shirt, but you know, I think that potential's out there at some point. Um, <laughs> but we do spend a lot of time just educating people on how to operate binos, how to, how to set the diopter, how to focus, how to change the, you know, how to change the eye relief so that they don't get that vignetting. And every once in a while, you'll get that guy that comes in and telling his buddy, oh, yeah, this is how you change the field of view, and they'll twist out the eye cups. And you go, no, that's, you know, that actually is just eye relief. No, 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 buddy, I know what's up. This is how you change field of view. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> not going to get into an argument, but most of the time people are, yeah, I just want. I mean, uh, our uh, number one question. I think you and I talked about it on Optics One Hundred and One. The number one thing that people don't understand, and I've had guides who do it for a living. When I start explaining the numbers, they're like, "I had no idea that's what ten by forty-two meant." Mm-hmm. I just, I, I just thought it was a thing. I didn't realize that they had, there was actually math behind those numbers, and you know, they'll come in and hold up one of our small eight by thirties and go, "I like it this size. Can I?" But I was told I need a. Eight by or ten by fifty. Can I get a ten by fifty in this size? And like, no, fifty millimeters is the size of that lens. That's what. But really, I just thought I was told I need a ten by fifty. I didn't know I couldn't get it in a compact pair. And yeah. So, education's a big piece of it, and a lot of times, even if they didn't come to buy, they become customers, or they come back in two two years and go, I wasn't ready to buy then, but you guys spent so much time with me. Help me understand. I, I don't know how many times I saw uh, Honey and Tana run out uh, to the parking lot with their binocular, with a spotting scope or binoculars to sh- let someone look outside because they're like, I can't tell anything in here. And they're like, great, let's walk outside and let's do a comparison. And yeah, no, that's that's so true. And like, I mean, I, I mean, I've learned a lot like since wor- with working with you guys over the last five or six years at this event and being able to, you know, every everyone that comes through, including myself, until I I got to learn it, I just thought ten by forty twos. That's what you got. That's just like that was just standard. And and they're like, oh, okay, some sometimes it's better to have a lower magnification. And that doesn't mean that it's a lower quality optic because it has that you know allows more light in. There's all these different things that come through. I think that education standpoint is super important. I like that. That's kind of like the basis of it. There's not there's not really a time when it's just like a a hard sell and we're you know, we're better than anybody else. It's just like, okay, here's the facts that comes with it. And based on that, you can make your own Mm. buying decision off of those different things. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no advantage to us angering someone and having them walk away and say, man, those guys are jerks. It's like, I'd rather you walk away without a sale, but think about long-term, you know what? They informed me. It was a good company. I learned some stuff. Because they might tell their buddy who is looking for a pair, like, hey, you know, I already bought, but you guys should give Maven a look. And I don't know how many people are have come by the booth this week and just said, my buddy said, I told him I was looking for binos, and he said I had to check out Maven here at the show. Yeah. So even if I tell them their scope looks stupid, they still think, <laughs> they still come back. Yeah, it, it word of mouth has got to be, no matter what business you're in, probably the most mm-hmm. valuable part of it. 
And you can have a hundred people say something good and one person says something bad and you've lost more than you've gained. Yeah. And for the most part, people who go to shows, you know, companies that go to shows, like you're saying, yeah, ideally companies are there at shows to, to sell a product, but they're also just chatting with people, spreading the word about the company, informing people about the product. And I mean, I wandered around, everyone's wandered around. I was looking for a holster to say, I know nothing about holsters. And the couple of companies I went to just, I mean, they, yeah, they tried to sell me a product, told me about prices and their warranty and all that, but also just informed me. And so going to these shows and talking to different companies, you can learn a lot about the different gear out there and, you know, different hunting experiences and things like that just by talking to them. Yeah. They're, they want to teach you because it leaves a good impression. Yeah, definitely. So I, I do have a question. I, I feel like I remember the first time that I met Tony here, Cade, you had said that there's uh that Tony was like one of the, the first, uh, official maven pro staffers how 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 did you guys meet <laughs> tony hates that word so that's why i'm throwing it in there how, how did and how I, did i'm that? sure i'm misremembering it because i can't remember what i had for breakfast this morning but uh so tony um i can't even remember how you heard about us tony i don't know if it was from the um kuyu um press release when we first worked with Jason Harrison or if you were friends with Latigo. Do you remember how you first heard about us? Uh, I had posted on my Facebook page at the time that I was looking for a new set of binoculars if any of my buddies knew of a good brand to go ahead and drop their name. And one of the guys I went to middle school with in Minnesota said, I just took these pair of Mavens to Africa the other year. You should check them out. So, I mean, a completely sideways connection. And he lives over on the east side of the state, but I think your parents lived down in Utah or something at the time. And you were driving through Lander for something. I can't remember what it was for, work or something. Casper to uh, Pinedale. So he, he uh, called and asked to come by. And um, our place that we had at that time was not the luxury digs we're in now. We were in a 1,200 square foot. The office was about this size of the, this kitchen. Um, and this kitchen is... 10 by 14 and me and Mike shared that Brendan worked from home and the rest of the warehouse at the time was wide open, just a concrete floor and center block building. And that's where we did everything out of Tony cruised in, looked through everything and, um, he was doing some, some general archery and, uh, really, you know, hunting hard. Like he still does, you know, getting out there and getting in the woods and he's like, you guys have a pro staff? I'm like, no, and we had intentionally talked about we didn't want to do this big kind of pro staff thing yeah. where everyone's like, I'm on Maven's pro staff. And he's like, well, you do now. I'm on it. Like, well, we don't really have a program. He says, I don't care. I'm on it. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah. I was like, all right, well, I can either hang out here until you say yes, or we can just like get this going one way or another. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, since then, they've put together a staff of... Uh, actually talented people and so i'm always waiting for my phone call to be like hey we're you know we're just one spot short and <laughs> so your seven instagram followers don't exactly carry a lot of weight anymore so what's funny is we have this friend uh who came to us in a very similar way nathan lopez out in california and he he wanted to know how what he could do to help support maven and help us grow and um at one time he was a competitive archer on the west coast and he's like 
I have an idea. He, he kept asking about this pro staff. I'm like, we're not doing one. We have one person, and that's it's already too big. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he's like, well, have they, you they broke one they didn't want it. They, they, we have they, one, and we don't even we want him. We have one, and he was just a stray dog we took in. Like, we felt bad for him. So. Yeah. And he's like, have you broke into the archery side yet? Like, none of us knew anything about competitive archery. He said, well, I've, I've got my eye on a couple of people. I think if we put together a small pro staff of – um, competitive archers we could grow in that area a lot of other brands were abandoning it and he thought he saw some opportunity so um, he signed so we're like all right you have like four people this year and maybe four people next year it was very limited at the time we were a very small organization and um, so he started kind of accumulating a list of mostly people that kinda he knew on the west coast to start and we ended up with some really good shooters to start. And then, um, you know, so we have a, a good group of California West Coast shooters, uh, Alan Burnetta and um, Williamson, Brandon Williamson. Brandon Williamson. And yeah. then um, from there, we got a little bit of recognition from some of the, and, and I always, I never know how to quite say this. I think everybody understands. There's a couple of top tier archers. Like if you look at any of the big competitions every week, there's about 30 that one of them is going to be on the podium every week. One of, one of that group, not every week, not every podium, but um, a couple of them reached out to us and said, Hey, we see what you're doing for archery. We see what you're doing in the um, community. All the other companies are kind of leaving us behind we'd love to do something with you. How, what can we do? So uh, the first of those is a guy named Jesse Broadwater out of Florida. Um, if anyone's at all familiar with any level of competition archery, you know who Jesse Broadwater is. He's shot in the world. He, he doesn't shoot uh, recurve, so he hasn't been to the Olympics, but about every other national format that you can think of, he's taken either first or second at some point in the last 15 years. Uh, because of that connection, he works close with another gal who's very similar, Paige Pierce, who is first, second, or third in just about every tournament in the world every weekend. Um, and the two of them, at that point, I'm like, all right, Nathan, this is getting kind of big. What do we do? He goes, well, what's this guy Tony doing on the roster? I'm like, Tony stays. <laughs> You'll meet him one day. Tony's OG. He stays on. And then they went hunting together, and he's like, Oh yeah, Tony stays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I met uh, up with Nathan and two of his buddies. And we did an Idaho elk hunt. Oh, had a way. great eight days up there and so many laughs, good times. Uh, we did get one bull stuck, but we didn't ever recover it. So I punched my tag on that one and said thank you guys for all the help trying to recover it, and just went and called for a little bit. Yeah. Huh, that's 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 really funny. <laughs> Try kicking you off, and yeah, I, I don't blame him. I don't blame him. I'm just kidding. So Hannah was an, an ad later on, right around that time. Okay, so that's okay. so Hannah. All the connection. Yeah, yeah. I, I met uh, I met Nathan and Nate Lopez there in Reading at that uh, shoot. Say four or five years ago or so, and kind of learned about Maven at that shoot, just like here at the show. You know, yeah. they had a booth. Started talking to them and. Talked to Nate a little bit and got to know more about the Maven products and. So if you ever want to have a good time, Bo, so they have a, a multi, they have multiple different classes. I'm so. always in for a good time. So <laughs> the Reading, the Western Classic Trail Shoot, mm -hmm. it's a 3D tournament, and if you talk to the Bo nerds, they'll tell you that it's a safari style trail shoot versus a like 
you shoot dots on a target, but it's like I don't know. It, Virgin it, talk. No it's, understands it. It's no. basically one of the most fun how do you shoot shoots. Foam animals. But how many total targets do you shoot over three days? Something for the virgins. Uh, so yeah. it's little seventy Legolas targets. Guys around. Yeah. <laughs> so it's seventy targets over three days. Okay. And it's all hiking. Like you shoot one, pull your arrow, go to the next. Yeah. Everything from four yards to a hundred and plus yards. Just over a hundred yards for the maximum target yep. distance. Yeah. And and there's a hunter class, so you can show up with your hunting rigged bow and compete just in that class. So you, you now you could enter for the big money and compete against Brady Ellison and Jesse Broadwater and and that crew. But you you can. Do any crew, and they, I think they're limiting this year to 3,000 archers. Holy it, cow. So it's gotten to be such a big shoot. Like, so this is the shoot that we're talking about that got me into tournament archery. My friends in San Diego, who I'd run into at the local archery range, were like, hey, come to this shoot with us. Like, we're driving up. It's like an eight hour drive from San Diego, but drive up with us, spend the weekend up there, have fun. And I went and did it. It is now such a popular shoot. And some of it's been limitations on registration size in recent years due to COVID and stuff, but. It sells out within, I want to say, a day of them opening registration. I mean, it opens and you have to register. It's it's full. So this is one list. of those cool events that started as a local archery club at their club putting on this tournament that's grown to such a thing that, I mean, I think even during COVID last year when they held it, there were something like 18 countries represented. And wow. it's now a National Field Archery Association qualifying event for their World Series. I mean, it's... But it's it is one of the most fun events and big shock. We rent a house there for the duration and oh, have a shit. have a barbecue, mm-hmm. do a little flip flop. But they out save there. the bed bugs for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah you know treat. this is my second time at a Maven house. First time with Maven bed bugs. So not even the bed bugs want to go to California. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you ever wanted to do like just an awesome, uh, imagine a. Uh, total archery challenge where they keep score yeah mm-hmm. uh, the, I, I don't like that because that'll expose expose, expose me <laughs> <laughs> oh man well i think uh i think we're gonna wrap this one up yep. here so what do you um so kind of want to go around the table here if if you will and where can people find a little bit more from you tony or if, if you want people to check you out if not you can and defer you're shaking your head at me <laughs> Dry yeah, if you can probably run into me somewhere out there, but that's going to be it. He's, <laughs> he's frequently featured on Hunting Douche. <laughs> Most of those seem to be written with almost me in mind. Yeah. Um, but no, uh, you can find me on Facebook, Tony Ostheimer. You can find me on Instagram, DryFlyYO. There's some underscores There's, in there. Uh, all, I think all I, you guys have y, YO at the end. All you Wyoming people have that at the end of your... If you were from Wyoming, you'd be proud too? No. I'm just kidding. You're just going to go homicide on us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah, what about you? The same thing. I'm on I'm on Facebook, Hannah Summers, Instagram, Hannah Summers underscore Y-O. And I'm, I did the underscore Y-O because Hannah Summers was taken. Okay. okay. It's a good name. It was taken already. All right. Uh, yeah. Facebook, Instagram. You can find me on there. Cade. At Mavenbuilt. At Mavenbuilt. Mavenbuilt.com. And uh, all right, cool. Well, thanks guys for coming on. I appreciate thanks, it. I was. Uh, it's always a good time getting chat with everybody here. Thanks Absolutely. For having us. Thanks, Bo. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.